And Millsy, g'day, welcome, mate. G'day, Mick. How are you going? I am very well. Just got over man flu. <laughs> Has it hit you yet? No, not yet. I've been very fortunate. I've missed steadfast man, um, COVID and flu so far, touch wood. Yeah. Uh, but get a flu shot tomorrow. Oh, no. So kind of looking forward to that, but kind yeah. of not. Um, so so you're a bit of a tough guy, mate. <laughs> no, no, no. I've been very fortunate the last few years with sickness. So yeah. they continue that if possible. It's a bit of a hard winter, this one, I think. So I think it's important to probably get that vaccine. Yeah. Well, speaking of tough guys, <laughs> that's a pretty good segue. <laughs> um, a special guest tonight. It's very, very Hello. special guest. Yeah. We have Ali Laidlaw, CFO of Osho. Hello. Thanks for having oh, me. Welcome, <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really good. It's um, fast approaching 30 June and my favourite months, July and August, around the corner. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, we're lucky to get this because you've got KPMG and... Yeah, they've been in with us for the last three weeks um, doing their planning and interim work. Um, so they're just checking in to see what's changed at Offshore, um, doing what they call walkthroughs, so looking at our processes um, and doing some testing. It's Yeah, it's been so far so good. Yeah. Um, so they'll go away for a couple of weeks and then come back in July for oh, yeah. the, the main year-end audit. So actually, are, are we lucky or were you looking forward to uh, getting a bit of time away from auditors? No, I think I was telling you, like, this is sort of the calm before the storm these next two weeks. So it's just after the first initial planning work with KPMG and then just before year end. Yeah, okay. you know, that's good. So mental note, if we need to walk over to Ellie's <laughs> desk, only in the next two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Sure. Um, so I guess um, we've, we've got you on because you've got your finger on the pulse on well, a lot of things with offshore, but I guess one thing our reps are pretty pretty interested to hear about is, I guess, market trends in the mergers and acquisition mm -hmm. space. Yeah. Well, um, it's been a consolidating market definitely in Australia for the last, what is it, eight years? Um, I don't think I know a brokerage out there that hasn't gone through some kind of merger or acquisition um, if they've been around in that time um, and, and I'd say most people in the industry would have experienced you know a takeover of some sort um, that doesn't look set to change at all um, even with a few rumbles of recession that you know people are talking about now um, you know I don't I don't see that changing having said that you know we're facing interest rate rises, people might be a little bit more nervous, a little bit more hesitant about borrowing money. Um, but I still think steadfast will have an appetite and that will flow down um, through to all its subsidiaries as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So when you say consolidation, and it has been, mm. um, can you give any insight to, to why? Um, well, I think the main driver is um, profit, to be, to be honest with you. If you look at um, the average brokerage that has a has um, say five million dollars in income, it's going to be able to achieve higher profit margins than the average one to two million dollar yeah. brokerage. And so, I think shareholders are looking for that um, that return. Yeah, that that's my simple answer. Yeah, mm. probably we can flesh it out later. But in general, are you seeing? Uh 
more sellers than buyers? Um, I think we are seeing quite a few sellers, like certainly within our network. Um, there's, there's the group of people that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years. They're ready for retirement. A lot of the acquisitions that we've seen recently are definitely driven by succession planning. Um, so people looking to, to sell out or, or wind down or pass on to the next sort of generation. So yeah, we're definitely seeing that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Mills, you, you see, uh, I'll hear a lot from the reps, um, and you mentioned in the last podcast about fatigue. Um, that, that got me thinking, so what's your gut feel, question without notice by the way, um, on where fatigue sits or even, um, so you get the changing landscape. Yeah. It's probably a better word for it. That's what I use term for it. Um, so there's more compliance. There's more um, change of processes, yeah. and that's led from what you're saying is fatigue. Yeah. Are, you, are you saying a feeling that there's brokers out there who may not have considered selling? Or yeah, definitely. Um, I think from my conversations with inside our network, but also outside our network. Uh, seasoned ARs have been around for a long, long time, ones who haven't been around for so long as well. I'm certainly hearing their sort of fatigue with the sort of challenges at the moment in the industry. So everything from insurance, from claims, obviously the CAT events, but that's mm. compounded on what we've been experiencing for the last couple of years. Underwriting, um, just with lack of contact service, getting um, decisions, uh, insurers pulling away from certain industries it's just a mighty challenge for everyone at the moment yeah. and with all the regulatory changes last year especially which just seemed to be a month on month on uh certainly ars are just questioning what, what do i do next here mm-hmm. okay it's it's a 21 sorry 22 i've i felt is such more challenging year already than 20 and 21 so it's just sort of added on to those layers but um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they've been talking about that so much about uh, succession to me, but I guess it's a question well worth that should be having a chat about with someone uh, in onshore head office. Uh, I'll take it a bit further. I certainly, on the flip side, I certainly talked to a lot of young brokers, again, inside our network and outside our network, and a lot of hungry and sort of passionate about what they can do next to mm-hmm. grow yeah. as well, what they want to do yeah. next in the industry. Yeah, I think that's really important that, um, you know, the next generation coming through, um, it's it's exciting to see that. Um, and it's good that people are hungry and, you know, yeah. not shying away from the risk um, yeah. because it is definitely, you know, a risk, you know, an investment that they might have had to save up for. They might be foregoing deposit on a house to, to put the money into their business, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, mm. Are you seeing, sorry, are you, are you seeing... Um, Succession planning. What do you mean by that? Sorry. Are you seeing brokers doing succession planning in? Because you've been involved in in quite a lot of yeah M and As. Are you seeing succession planning as happening? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's always on the back of of their mind because the value is in the relationship with the clients, and and that's obviously held with with people. And so, if you don't have that succession planning, um, then your value is going to be reduced or there's going to be more risks over that yeah. um, when it comes to selling. Yeah. So definitely something that every brokerage needs to think about. Yeah. 
you, Ellie, do you find a difference between regional centres and metro centres in respect to officers who, like their own family members, may not want to stay in the industry or go into the industry, plus staffing issues in regional centres as well? I'm sure there definitely are differences, but I, I don't, I couldn't really comment much on that. Um, I thought with you know, all the talk about people leaving Sydney, Melbourne, moving into regional areas that some of our regional brokerages wouldn't have the same staffing issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm assured by various reps that that's definitely not the case. Yeah. They've, they've got the same challenges as as people in metro areas. Um, sure, I, I can add to that. Like I, I probably never received so many phone calls from our ARs and actually outside our network as well in the last 12 months where they've said do you know anyone yeah and, and i've never had that in my 17 years with Osshaw. i've never had that mm. so yeah. it's well, changing i think i've been you know every brokerage i speak to has that problem and i'm told that's just such a common issue it was the biggest issue that all professional services are facing um, and I hear from our reps that that's the same thing a lot of their clients are facing, like hospitality, the hospitality industry, getting workers. It's just um, yeah. really difficult. Construction, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was in Swan Hill with Adam Sloan last week and just driving around town, uh, I stopped counting the number of we are hiring sites. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and Swan Hill is really prosperous at the moment. Mm. They're doing really well. Um, and then, so I got back on a week on a weekend, drove around in Brisbane, in, just around the local area, and again, I lost count. I, I just looked past how many shops were saying, "We're hiring, no experience, yeah. training on the site." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's articles um, in the news all the time about things employers can do to make their workplace more attractive, and I know we've discussed that internally as well, um, but. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities for employees out there at the moment. It's definitely a difficult market for employers. Yeah. And we need to be thinking about what, what we can be doing for our staff um, to help with retention and yeah. to help them want to stay, give them opportunities for career progression and so on. So so what's some, what, what are your thoughts on, um, on the retention side with yeah, on the retention side, because mm. there's no one, I don't think there's one silver bullet. Yeah, no, there isn't. Well, you know, funny, we had a bit of a brainstorming yeah. session yesterday, Millsy and I and a couple yeah. of others, and we we sort of um, came up with a few points. One was career progression, one was sort of flexibility, um, the work from home setup. Yeah. Um, we had sort of communication, connection with management, yeah. accountability. Yeah. Um, collaboration. Those were the sort of things that we we discussed. Um, um, and the thing that I think we most thought about was career progression, which I think yeah, is a real positive yeah. story within insurance because there's there should be good training pathways for our yeah. brokers and opportunities to learn, opportunities to learn from each other. Um, so I think there's definitely things out there that we can be doing and yeah. doing better at. Um, it isn't just about the work from home thing. It, it's yeah. definitely about the relationships in the office and the yeah. culture and, and that sort of thing. But probably not 
no overnight fixes. I, I don't think yeah. it's something that we got to be working on um, for the medium long term. Yeah, because there's financial um, potential financial changes, but there's things that don't cost. Yeah. That don't sit on the PL, but mm. change culture. Yeah. 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 So, oh, sorry, just, just going to say, throwing it out there, just outside the training that in in house, I uh, may be able to do for their staff and new staff. And then you've got the product training and staff uh, training that uh, insurers might do. Do you think that uh, principals have to think a little bit outside the square a little bit and maybe for training? Is that maybe possible? Uh, I would have said yes before. Pre-COVID, I would have said yes. Yeah. I think training has always been something that's a larger untalked about issue in our yeah. industry. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Um. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think thinking about my team and and some of the non-broking areas, um, I think it is important to give training to add some sort of variety. Um, and But I do think it needs to come partly from the individual and whether they're driven and whether they're interested in, in learning something new. And I think different people will have different priorities and what they're wanting to do. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but I've always been someone that enjoys learning something new, quite happy to try and experiment and teach myself something. Um, so, yeah, I, I I like the idea of investing in staff with training, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This could be a de facto HR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do we need to go back to the M&A bit? Yeah. Well, uh, here's, a, here's a curveball question. Hopefully it's not, but um, so, Multiples, like when we're having mm -hmm. beers with reps, multiples yep. seems to be, um, so what, what are we seeing? And it's like, how long is a piece of string? Because yeah. Small book, large book, yeah. good quality book, maybe an underperforming yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's interesting because obviously Steadfast has got their sort of top dollar, 10 times um, profit multiple. Um and that's really on the basis that they're doing a significant acquisition. So they're doing, you know, they're acquiring a very large business um, that is profitable. They're looking, they're looking more for the high profit margin businesses rather than like, you know, a low profit margin business that they want to improve on. Um, they're looking for really strong compliance and a strong, strong management team. Um, and with that acquisition, when I say significant, I mean dollar value but also taking a majority ownership um so that's that's my understanding of what they're looking at it's interesting because most of what offshore does you know we're a much smaller end of the scale within within the ars and we're generally not looking to take a majority ownership in an ars business we found that we get more success when we're partnering with um partnering with someone, so taking a minority stake and the the local partner is the one responsible for the majority of the operation, certainly the day-to-day -day and probably only consult with us for key um, big business decisions, but otherwise they're sort of free to run the business as they see fit. Um, that's where we've had the most success. So it's sort of the opposite to to the, the big end that Steadfast is looking for. Um, and and to be honest, like we we're not 
we're still not really dealing in the sort of 10 times profit area. Our, our sweet spot still really looking more at the revenue multiples. And, you know, we've had this week um, deals closing for the fairly standard two times revenue multiple. Yeah. Um, so that's still certainly um, the offshore space. Um, and, you know, talking about that, youth succession like I do worry that the 10 times EBITDA multiple prices a lot of younger people out of the opportunity of acquiring um, a business um, you know you're going to end up with such a small percentage if you're having to pay 10 times profit um, and I've seen you know really good brokers kind of walk away from that and set up on their own because yeah. that is pricing them out so I'm not sure how far into the future Steadfast has thought about that, um, but that that would be my that's my personal opinion on, you know, I don't necessarily think ten times is good for good for the industry. Yeah. And that that ten times uh, seems to be a fairly large business in its own right. Mm. Getting acquired. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be you know, you know, three, four, five million profit. Yeah type of business. Yeah, so you got that scale, and yeah. probably the scale to, to have that profit. Yeah. 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 So I guess um what um would you sorry say it again. The the average um EBITDA or ex mm. expect, expected profit from say steadfast as a shareholder yeah. is thirty three percent. Yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. So I remember we we went through this project um several years ago just trying to get understand where reps were at in terms of their own percentages. It was, it was quite varied. Some were over 40 and some were below yeah, 20. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the first indicators where you're going to sit in terms of a multiple as well. That's right. And um, it's it's not always easy to say just generally because every every broker's P&L, the way they're running their business is going to be different. There could be um, costs in there that aren't directly related to the business and typically we would look at um, adjusting for those sort of non-business related expenses there might be some one-off things that occurred in the year so about so the last year and the year before there was all the government incentives with job job keeper and um, the other COVID related incentives that you know that's just a one-off thing so those yeah. would get adjusted out so um, what we what we're trying to look for is what they call like the ongoing or the maintainable earnings of the business, and that's what we would apply the multiplier on. Yeah. So whilst you might be less than twenty percent one year, you know, after adjustments, that might look different. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask, like, from an onshore point of view, how's mm -hmm. it how's it work um, if someone wanted to? potentially sell a portfolio, would we normally just look in-house first? Is that how it sort of works? Yeah, we, yeah. we definitely try and keep things in-house. Like I think the advantages of that is you're going to know your the other party better, so from a buyer and a seller perspective. And so I think that is really reassuring. Yeah. Um, and offshore being involved as well, like we all know a bit about the history of the book and, yep. and the people and the staff and that sort of thing. So I think it works works well from a negotiation perspective. It, it's a friendly, typically a really yep. friendly sale. Um, and only occasionally would we get 
external lawyers involved to draft the contracts, which is, I think, a time and yeah. cost saving. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely, we definitely like to look at, to help, you know, yeah. offshore reps find other offshore reps to buy and sell to. Yeah, we had a meeting yesterday, and I think you and Troy were talking about, you know, Oshaw's DNA with um, M&As. Mm. Um, so that's, I might have been listening to it wrong, but was it like over 50 or? Oh, so yeah, how many have we done, how many acquisitions have we done in the last um, sort five, of five, five ten years? Yeah, yeah it, could, it could well be that if you count all the small portfolio acquisitions we've done. To be honest, I, I haven't counted. I, I reckon I can say at least 20 that, that I've been involved in, but then yeah. there would be others within the network. Yeah. If so, you ever talk in your sleep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, th I think Troy was talking about, like, um, his background and my background. So I, did I start working in mergers and acquisitions? It would have been... 2006 back in Japan um, I was working for EY and PwC then and then when I moved to Australia I started with the steadfast um, M&A team when they were getting ready for their IPO so like I, I don't want to call myself an expert because I was just saying to John that whilst I've done all the was I've advised on a lot of M&A projects I've never actually been involved in one from the other side um, Whereas I think there's many people out there in our industry that have been part of an M&A and know what it's like, know what it's like to be fed the communication from higher up to be told uh, yeah. what's going on. And so I don't want to say I'm an expert from that point of view because I've never actually been on the other side. Well, at, at the risk of not having your phone blow up from reps, um, I would say that you are. <laughs> the, 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 the person that we, that our reps need mm. to... Um, to have an informal chat to a formal chat to help from budgeting to contracts. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, from the transaction point of view, definitely. Um, where to get started? Um, what? How to start planning? Because you know it makes sense to start looking at your business structure one to two years out from when you're thinking of selling because you want to tidy up what's in the company. You want to get rid of the the personal things that might be going on in there. You might want to put in place proper employment contracts if you haven't got those with your staff because, as we were saying before, um, it's the relationships that are really important and really the only thing that you are protected by when it comes to your employees and their relationships are the restraints and employment agreements in a way. And a quality restraint. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's. I suppose it's never too soon to start like thinking about that and planning for it and then when it comes to doing the actual sale you'll be in a better position and be in a better position to negotiate more favorable terms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I still um we've covered off succession planning but i still think it's one of the best um defenses that business can have as well mm -hmm. as identify a key yeah. staff um, yeah one or, one or two and bring them along you know, on the journey as well. And it can be small increments, can be funded however is suitable for both parties. Um, you know, offshore included, because we're in a lot of JVs, but yeah, restraints are super important, a quality restraint. And I used to think a restraint's a restraint, but mm. it's definitely not. Um, but then also how, 
your business is only as good as the check that you're going to get paid for it. Yeah. Um, in in yeah. terms of you know cashing out, um, it's it just makes sense to have some key people in the business when you're in that retirement um, yeah. succession phase. Yeah. 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 And looking after those the key people yeah. as well. Um. Geez, I've, I've kind of covered off all the points that yeah. I've got, but have you got you've got your laptop here? You're the first one who's been organised. No, I'm. Don't want to talk about debtors or anything like that now. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I like to think of debtors as an operating, like an operational issue. Like I know finance, we like to to collect money, um, and that means we get to pay everybody. Um, but it really is a a day-to-day -day operational matter yeah. from my point of view um, and I think I think we've done really well as a group to improve on that yeah. um, KPMG were a bit of a an initiator in us going okay we've really got to address this and that was partly because they were looking at our processes and they didn't fit the very rigid regulations which don't this is really no room to make to make any kind of adjustment to the process, um, and I'm hopeful that this year we've we've ticked the boxes for them. Um, and that's that's actually not anything that my team have done. It's really Craig and Allison and our compliance team. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, I has done so well. Yeah. Especially during COVID. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so if, if people are interested, the next. The next thing I'm looking at is from from that kind of more compliance point of view would be unallocated cash because that's got a very similar um, Corporations Act regulation, which has the same sort of seven day window that we're supposed to act on. And I know, um, I know it's really challenging, and sometimes our clients want us to do something different, but it doesn't actually matter. And um, KPMG won't care if it's the more practical approach. It's, Simply, are we following the, the rules as yeah. silly as they might seem to us? Um, and, and that's what we get judged on. So yeah. watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the good thing with um, tightening a few of those things up is that we're protecting our license. Mm, absolutely. And in terms of capacity, like even just getting um, PI, you know, we, we, we've got so much more, so much more work now than there ever was before. Yeah. Scotty's doing all the heavy lifting on this. Yeah. So we just got to add more strings to our bow to protect our license and be there in the long run. Yeah. And, and we, you've already seen some um, you know, flash in the pan, smaller networks um, who have come or are, are starting on the decline. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I think this is, debtors has been really, uh, compliance and accounts, I would say you guys did really well. Mm -hmm. And if we shore up our sustainability, that's yeah. you know, to everyone's benefit. Yeah. You've always wanted to use that word, haven't you? Sustainability. I thought you said sure up. <laughs> we should do a plug for the PD days coming up in July, August, maybe, just to get people to register. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. We'll yeah. get this podcast out ASAP. Um, but we're going to have all the um, good looking and key people talking about some stuff. Um, Scott and Graham, right? Yeah, they'll come too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, oh, one last thing, we'll give a plug to our offshore camping as well, because um, I think a lot of that we've spoken about um, mm -hmm. will happen, will definitely happen last year at the camping. It'll happen again 
we're not talking about insurance and PDSs and um, we're, we're talking about relationships yeah. and what you have seeing in your your side of the business and so yeah I, I think the more that we can get around each other with um Malbec yeah <laughs> um and we'll have the gronies yeah. and just share what's going on in our world reps do the same it's, it's a good vibe I'm yeah. just registered today so I'm already registered uh, first time yeah, cool. first time camper this year yeah, excellent Great. I'm sure it'll be good <laughs> Uh, Ellie, I know you're super busy, so thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ellie. My pleasure. It's been really fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. See you guys.